como 10 minutos. Okay. Nada más que eso y de ahí viene el, el, el sendero nuevamente de unos 3, 4 metros de ancho. Welcome to another edition of Strangers Abroad. This podcast is a series of conversations with the wonderful and weird people I met while backpacking throughout Latin America. These are the hitchhikers, the couch surfers and the expats, the thrill seekers, the mountain climbers, the volunteers and society quitters. The people who, for one reason or another, made the decision to challenge themselves, to leave behind the comforts of home, to venture out into the world and see what happens. Here we go. I met Matt on what started as a relatively quiet afternoon at the cafe. He ordered my favorite Peruvian stout and we started making small talk as the fermented liquid filled the glass, a thickness resembling drinking chocolate more than beer. He was from LA and we cycled through the typical, I'm from America, you're from America, let's talk conversation loop. When we were interrupted by a sea of shouts and protests flooding our cafe from the outside, hordes of people were protesting in the street, shouting, waving signs, and some of them eyeing the glass windows protecting those on the first floor. While the few of us in the cafe were trying to understand what was going on, my boss Javier and Rachel came rushing up from the chocolate shop and declared that protests were happening and it was too dangerous to go outside, which trapped us in the cafe. Curiosity led us to the balcony, which had a clear view of the street the cafe lived on, close to the heart of town, providing us with a bird's eye view of the sanguine marches pulsing through the streets. As bodies rotated on the balcony, Javier and Rodrigo, both native to Arequipa, explained to us the clandestine corruption that was moving throughout the city and across the country. A mining corporation wanted to create a mine that had the potential to pollute the waterways in the area that was heavily used for farming, which would obviously contaminate the crops. The mining corporation was bribing a slew of unemployed individuals to go protest for them. These, quote, protests were happening in the big cities of Lima and Arequipa, propelled by corporations' nefarious incentive to take advantage of poor people's circumstances for their own gain. This inadvertently caused significant more destruction than anticipated because the unemployed didn't have anything to lose and violence quickly escalated. Four people died throughout the series of protests, declaring the country in a state of emergency. Matt and I, being the only Americans held captive in this Peruvian cafe, started examining corruption between countries, especially our own. Suddenly, we heard glass crash and bricks hitting against the stone walls below us, attacking the fortress of the innocent who chose to stay inside. When we witnessed clouds of tear gas suddenly mushroom in between the buildings of the city, we slammed the doors and huddled in the center of the cafe and decided to wait it out. 
As the hours went by and the diminishing sun eventually turned the sky into a sanguine hue, the chaos from below subsided and we decided to step out into the brave new world below us, gawking at the torn up city streets and storefronts. Some parts looked like an earthquake had hit it. The array of cobblestone lining the streets were now torn up and littered with rubble, glass, and graffiti. Matt and I found a restaurant still open, and our conversation floated between our homeland, traveling to less developed countries, and it led to why he was in Peru in the first place. He told me he was doing a motorcycle trip around the Gringo Trail, which is a path in Peru in the shape of a triangle from Arequipa, Cusco, and Lima, which hits all the big tourist attractions and little towns and surprises in between. I was like, well, that's awesome. What allows you to travel like that? And he casually mentions that he works in Hollywood and has worked on several blockbuster films and TV shows. Wait, what? We discussed how traveling has helped him find a balance and maintain a humbling perspective about the world when he's working with the upper crust of Hollywood. The beginning of our conversation was too inaudible, so it cuts right to us talking about coca leaves, which the Peruvians drink like coffee. The Incas and ancient tribes use coca leaves for altitude sickness, upset stomach, and a number of other homeopathic remedies. It also happens to be the plant that turns into cocaine. I apologize for the sounds of espresso and people enjoying the hot Peruvian evening. It was a wild night. Here's his story. So yeah, actually, while I was in Cusco, there's a coca museum there, which is interesting. Because it's informative, and they kind of talk about the stigma and, and the proponents of in the Peruvian culture. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, as a, as a herbal remedy, and, and it, it's part of their culture, it's part of their, uh, you know, part of their ancient religion. They're, uh, they're witch doctors, for lack of a better term. Use the leaves, um, and they use it as a uh, as an offering to the uh, as to, to their to their gods. Right. You know, as an as an offering for good luck. So I mean, it's it's and it wasn't only until hundred years ago that basically the white man came and, and took the leaves and started extracting the cocaine, uh, its alkaloid, mm-hmm. and then to make you know what I think only about forty five years ago became. Interesting. And to make the drug, you have to put a shit ton of chemicals in it. Anything from like kerosene to ammonia and all that stuff, and it just dilutes and dilutes. So it just it becomes a chemical compound. So if you're just you're just uh, chewing on the leaves, basically what you do is you chew on the leaves. It's kind of like tobacco, it's a like dip. You chew on the leaves and, and then you swallow the saliva right. to get to get the juices from the cooking uh, and that gives you. Um, it gives you a little boost in energy. It's actually supposed to help you whiten your teeth. Um, it makes your mouth feel numb. Makes you look more alert. But it's also, you know, it's the same thing. Caffeine does the same thing. So exactly. It's, but it doesn't have negative side effects. Right. It makes our teeth gross. <laughs> I think that's the only like it stains your teeth. Cap- yeah. Slight, slight Coffee, difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so out of all the places that you've been to, in during this trip, which one surprised you the most? It could just be driving, because you're kind of going well, through a very different... Probably, you're exploring the landscape in a very unique way that most people don't get. So I would say what's 
two things that surprised me most, probably at both ends of the spectrum, would be the roads here. I didn't really know what to expect, mm -hmm. and having ridden the motorcycles on the roads, um, blown away. Because the roads have to go through the Andes, and you, you go up, you go up one peak, and you go down to a valley, and there's just these hidden roads. And if you're a motorcyclist, it's a dream come true because there's just hours and hours, literally hours and hours every day, mm -hmm. a couple times, where it's just twisties, just hairpin turns. You know, you'll you'll do 150 kilometers before lunch. And 120 of them are just hairpin turns. And is that what you want? Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. Going straight is boring. Oh, right. Yeah, Turning yeah. and leaning and going as fast as you can and really pushing yourself is uh, is what you want to do on a bike. Right. And I had no idea it was going to be like that. I kind of just signed up for this trip kind of last minute. Right. Didn't realize what it was. I asked MotoQuest guides. And they said, well, this is some of the best roads in the world. You're going to have fun. You get really? three days in the trip, and you're just going to realize that everybody who hasn't done this trip is going to be envious. And right. A couple of my friends I've been sending photos to are. Right, right. Um, so best best roads in the world for motorcycling? I don't know if I say best roads in the world, but... Because I feel like just, by bus, it would be a very... Like, people would say, would have a very different opinion. Oh, Do you know what I mean? By bus, I would probably be scared shitless. <laughs> exactly. Because you're just... It's just constant swerving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And... You know, buses are passing other buses, which is always scary on, on one-lane highways. Right. And you're going around turns. Uh, we've seen two overturned trucks on hairpin turns. Holy shit. And, um, which is scary. Uh, we've, we've all had a couple close calls with cars coming at us in, uh -huh. uh, in our lanes. A couple times going into a turn or approaching a, a, like a hairpin turn. Once you get into a turn on a bike, can't really just stop like you can in a car because your, your physics and right. your momentum you'll you'll fall off the bike you'll, right. you'll, you'll fly off the bike or you'll just crash so biking kind of seems to have this the more that I think about it it seems, it seems simultaneously like calming and thrilling at the same time you know like your adrenaline is yeah is rushing but at the same time it seems like you can get into this zen He's exactly, you definitely get in zone. There was a couple days where you're riding in the, what we call twisties. You're just riding in twisties for a couple, like a, like a couple of hours. Yeah. And you think about nothing else except for your bike and the line that you're going to take to approach a curve. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the best days I've ever, uh, on this trip, let alone ever had riding. Really? And it's just a good way to clear your head. And it's literally like it's zen, it's you're in the zone. And we had a couple of days where we three or four of us were just following each other. Right. We were just following the leader. I mean, it's amazing. Right. And then another thing on the bike, you kind of, you, you tune out everything. So there is a sense of zen. But um, at the same time, you, you're hyper alert. You're kind of hyper aware. Exactly. And I think if you've been riding a motorcycle, and most people who, who ride bikes will probably attest to this, you kind of have this hyper sensitivity and hyper alertness and then also this like periphery sense of what's going on you're paying attention to 15 things at a time right. you're trying to enjoy the landscape which here in Peru it runs from the desert to the coast to the jungle to the mountains to high desert plains you know you're, you're seeing alpaca and llamas <laughs> uh, the cunha which are like 
kind of like this. deer. Okay. Um, which I don't like because I've always hit some going about Ugh. 90 miles an hour. Uh-huh. Um, but you have this, this sense of hyper alertness and this periphery sense of what's going on. So in any given two seconds, you're paying attention to the mountain range. Mm-hmm. You're scanning both sides of the road for animals, dogs, which in this country love to just Jump pop out. out on the road um, and have no fear of cars or moving vehicles. Right. You're paying attention to the road, any bumps, imperfections. You're paying attention to oncoming, any of the traffic, paying attention to weather patterns. So in any given second, you're right. paying attention to all that stuff. And so there's this hyper alertness, but it's also contrasted with the sense of zen, the sense of just right. peacefulness on the, on the bike. You're like, in, you have to be in the moment. There is so. no, there is no like mental escaping. So, do you find that that translates into like your day to day life? I find it's kind of an escape. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to do in a day to day life. When I like, sometimes I'll ride my bike to work, mm-hmm. and when you're riding, you don't think about anything else. Right. You, a, you can't because you need to be paying attention. And you need to be alert. right. So you're not, you're not, you're not making phone calls. You're not thinking about you know, what you're going to have for lunch or, you know, the business meetings. Right. You just can't. But do you find that on the days maybe that you ride your bike to work and it's really crazy and all over the place, do you find that maybe you are more organized or more in the moment those days than than others because you're kind of like, I'm just curious. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, I think so because it's almost like, it's almost like a sense of meditation. Exactly. You, you, you shut your brain off from all those outside worries for whatever amount of time. So then when you do arrive, sometimes when I do arrive to work, my mind's fresh. Exactly. And so that it's not it's not burdened by a hundred different things. So I can right. come, clear your head, and it's it's kind of almost a sense of meditation. Right. Um, so you use the word zen, it's, it's very much like that. Right. Um, do you... Th- do you find that in your line of work, it's maybe more important for you to find that zen? Um, definitely. Yeah. You, you need that balance. You need that yin and yang. Yeah. Where work is just a high-stress environment for me, especially. Where there's a hundred things going on every ten minutes that you need to make sure are happening. Right. And to think about that stuff all the time, it's tough. So it's nice when I'm not working to kind of clear my head and not think about it. Turn the phone off. No one can email me. No one can reach me. Which is why I like golf. Um, which is why I love motorcycling. Because that's, it's just you. It's just a road. And there's nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I pump in a little bit of music. Kind of just in the background. Get you to the moment. Right. And, and it's amazing. And the road, road's here. And then the trip here has just been totally like clearing, clearing my head about anything. Which is great. And the other thing is, there's no internet, there's no contact, right. very little contact with the outside world, right. which I love. Because you realize you can kind of live without it. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you live without it, and then you just kind of enjoy the moment, right. meet the people. The food here is fantastic, some of the best food I've ever had. Right. So you kind of just live in the moment, and you get to kind of take it all in. Right. So, what is it like for you to work with? Some of the most, I'm going to say, privileged people who have, uh, you know, I'm seeing amount of beauty, talent, 
uh, money, resources at their fingertips at all times. Um, how it, what is it like to work with them and then to go to these very remote places where people have, in our minds, in our Western perception of things, basically nothing, and who are getting along just fine without it. For people who are, you know, still hand-making a lot of their clothes and living on a floating island in the middle of a lake, you know, like, what is it like for you to, how do you ingest that? Well, it's funny, because work, I mean, work for me is almost like it's not real. Like, what do you mean? Well, you know, we're, I work in an industry that creates something that's, it's a, uh, it's an art form, but at the same time, it's, at the end of the day, it's just a movie or it's just a TV show. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's this otherworldly sense of, not otherworldly, but it, it's something that's, it's just different. And it's not, it's a, we're creating entertainment. Right. So. So, what is it like to, everything's constructed. The juxtaposition. Right, it's, the juxtaposition. Um, well, we're in our own little bubble. We have our own little world where we, you know, in order to make a movie, basically, you kind of just you have to get it done. You do what you want. You have a little bit of this weird, like, cinematic community where mm-hmm. people look at us and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you want to do that? Great. Um, so we have our own little bubble, and it's strange because when you step outside the bubble, you realize that it's, it's this insane world of, well, it's just a privilege, but... You know, there's excess, which is an example of kind of Western culture. There's very much excess. Right. Um, so then when I do travel, and I travel to other countries in Asia, you do realize how much, or how little, sorry, that you can get by with that. Right. Um, so it's interesting. And so it actually makes you appreciate, I think, little things a little bit more going to, like some of my favorite things that we've done here on the trip so far is pulling the bikes up for lunch, not knowing what we're going to eat. We did uh, we did a trip into the Amazon Basin, this town, or I don't even know if it was a town or a village called Alpha Mayo. Uh-huh. No idea what we were going to do for food. So we just pulled up to a little, uh, family had a little uh, shack for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. and we asked you guys cook us lunch for eight, eight or nine people. So yeah, come on in. Went in, met the family, had three little kids running around, put them on the bikes. Right. Um, so you get that, you appreciate, you appreciate that more because you see the other end. Right. And is it is it hard for you sometimes because you do see, you know, you do see what it, it what it's like to live with less. And then when people who are living with, you know, when you're working and you're interacting with people who are living with so much and start, I don't want to say complaining, but, you know, do do you... First world problems. First world problems. Do you you keep that with you? Do you you keep those kids running around barefoot um, with you, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily... It's definitely in the back of your head, subconsciously. You know, you, you learn to appreciate... The little things, which is kind of what I think life is comprised of, is yeah. mostly all the little things added up. So you appreciate, you know, how good food tastes, or you value, you, know, you value seeing a little kid running around having right. fun. Do you, you think know, it's in the mud doing nothing? Right. 
Do you think it's difficult for people who have, who are used to having access to choose to maybe experience that for a little bit? Like, why are you attracted to that? It depends on the person. Yeah. Not, I don't think not all, not all people want to travel. Not all people that actually do travel like to get outside their comfort circle. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always complain a lot of people that travel, especially from the U.S. and travel, end up going to resorts in these remote locations. It's like, well, what's the point? You're just staying at a, at a five-star resort, which is basically the same thing as staying at a really nice hotel in your home city, but you're on this, like, plush beach, but right. you're not really experiencing the culture. You maybe get to eat a little bit of food, but you're still going to have pizza and Heineken's at the end of the night. <laughs> but you're, what's the point of traveling? So right. I kind of like the idea of going to travel, experiencing the cultures, meeting people, mm-hmm. going to places where it's not filled with tourists, it's not catered, there's you no know, McDonald's, there's no TGF Fridays. Um, sorry if you're sponsored by McDonald's, <laughs> TGF Fridays. But, not, not these days. But, um, you know, so not, not, not many people like to travel. And not, not everybody likes to travel, likes to actually kind of get ingrained in the cultures. So it's definitely, the, it's definitely the individual. Not to say that I, they, I think there's people who are, who are very, who have a lot and that do very well, will like to travel. And I think what kind of our motorcycle trips kind of cater to that niche group of people that like to travel, like to do things that are not what everybody else is doing, go to places that are not very touristy, right. and experience, and everybody on this trip loved all those experiences, loved going to these hole-in-the-wall right. little, little restaurants in the middle of nowhere, meeting the locals, eating the food, right. and literally you walk to a place, well, they have one thing, we all got the same thing, and it's coming in five minutes, and it was some of the best moves we had on the trip, so... Right. I think it's the individual. What is the, um, so when you take these trips, you're going with complete strangers, but you're kind of in this, your motorcycle trip, but you're kind of in this situation where, you know, you all need each other, even though in the beginning, they're people that you've never met before. What, how does that, how do those relationships develop? And Well, it's interesting, because this is the first time I've actually done a guided trip. Uh-huh. Normally, when I travel, I'll either travel with one or two people um, that I get along with very well, that are like-minded, and the last four trips or so, I've gone without an itinerary. Mm-hmm. I just go somewhere, plan the first two days, and then beyond that, you just figure it out, you talk to people. It's, it's much easier nowadays with the internet, you can just book hotels. But, um, so this is the first time with an itinerary, and with the motorcycle group, it kind of caters to a niche group who, for the most part, is going to get along. It's a kind of a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's already kind of a little society in of its own that if you see other motorcyclists in, the, in, uh, in your home country, I know in the U.S., it's, it's, a, it's part of like an, uh, I'd say elite club, but you're part of a club that you all belong to. And it's kind of the, so when you come to these trips, it's it's even like a smaller niche within that niche. So yeah, you're you know you're gonna get competing uh, or conflicting personalities, but 
for the most part, it's all like the same goal. Everybody wants to go. Everybody wants to have right. a good ride. Everyone to make. Everybody wants to make sure everybody else is safe. And uh, in the end, we we end up in wherever we end up, whatever city, and we are all drinking beers and kind of recounting the day. So. You know, it's it's almost becomes like right away our group just hit it off. Right. We're all looking out for each other. We kind of becomes a little little small brotherhood for two weeks. Right. So I mean, it's great. What um is it a wide variety of people that um from like all over the place? Yeah. Uh, for yeah. your trip, where where was everybody from? For our trip, we had uh, two other gentlemen were from California, from mm-hmm. Santa Cruz. Cool. We had two other, uh, two of the other riders were from Hawaii. I wouldn't say that they're not native Hawaiians, I don't believe. Another gentleman from outside of LA, and our last rider was uh, French, and he lives in Denmark. Cool. So a wide variety. Yeah, uh, yeah. All walks of life. Right. Any, any, anywhere from software engineers to environmentalists to doctors right. to pastors to Interesting. Um, city workers electricians to right. what I do working in film production so it's definitely all walks of life with the common goal uh, common trait that you know we all like to ride bikes and, and right. we want to have an adventure right, right. and it's also interesting because these are people that you would probably never meet on a day to day basis do you think that you would be friends with any of these people if you met them in like the real life and I'm using quotations in that do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's it's a nice way to experience somebody who you wouldn't normally be attracted to. Well, it's weird because if you just if you just lined up 20 people, you wouldn't be able to necessarily pick out who, uh-huh. who in that group is going to be going on a trip like this or who actually rides motorcycles. Right. You know, there's maybe a stereotype that guys that ride Harleys wear leather yeah, 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 yeah. or, you know, the guys that ride the speed bikes all the time. I mean, it's a different it's a different niche. So in our group, there's guys that ride Harleys, there's guys that have speed bikes, there's guys that you know, have adventure bikes. So, I don't know, what was the question? Um, would you normally hang out with these people anyways? Um, I don't know if I would before I met them on the bikes. I'm not sure if I would. I think they're all great people. Right. And I wouldn't turn any of them away. Right. And now that I've met them, there's definitely people that you know, I want to keep in contact with we've all invited everybody um, over to our respective cities right if you ever come in town look us up and I think um, a bunch of us will legitimately rendezvous again and ride or visit and that's kind of the beauty of like that's that extra step when it comes to traveling is you end up interacting with so many different people that you would never that you'd never meet one of my really cheesy philosophies when I was younger is that, you know, there are 7 million people out there. And you're not going to get along with all of them, but for the most part, as some people say more, some people say less, I think somewhere between, like, 10 and 10,000 to 500 of those people, you're going to get along with really freaking well, like, really close friends. But they may live in Dubai or... Queenstown or Stockholm and if you don't go out there and if you don't put yourself out there and kind of look for them in a sense like you you will never know you know so so I think it's important to kind of like push yourself to go out and experience people that you would never meet normally 
And do you seek that out when you travel? Um, I don't think you seek it out. I just think you're going to find other like-minded people. Yeah. And that's part of the beauty. I mean, if you go to a resort, you're going to meet other resort people. But if you go to, you know, a beach town where you're sleeping in tents, you're going to meet other like-minded people who are going to want to do that. Right. And, you know, more often than not, your personality traits are going to match up and you're going to become friends and you're going to meet people and you're going to keep in touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Facebook's obviously a great way to nowadays to, to do that. You right. become very worldly, but I don't think you need to seek it out. I think it just happens. Cool. I think like, like, you know, finds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you want to leave us with a quote or any last words or anything that has resonated with you that you kind of like... Um, well... One of my favorite quotes is uh, comes from Bruce Lee, who most people think is just a martial artist or a movie star, um, but in actuality, he was actually uh, a pretty good philosopher. Right. And um, I'll butcher the quote, but basically it says, <laughs> be like water. You know, you need to be adaptable and flexible. You put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a jar, it becomes the jar. You know, water can crash and can shape stone, but it can also be very gentle and flow around the smallest pebble without disturbing it. So I love that concept in living life and very applicable to travel in the sense that you need to be very open-minded and you need to be able to adapt. And I think especially as Americans that you need to be able to travel to other countries and at least try to speak the language, accept the cultures, right. and understand it's not going to be like home. But that's the whole point, is to go to another another country, another land, visit other people, and to adapt and to embrace that. And so I, I think you'll enjoy it more if you go and try the food that you've never heard of, the drinks that you've never heard of, try to speak a little bit of language, you'll, you'll meet people, you'll see things that you never would, would have expected. So I, I just think you just need to be open-minded and adapt. You ended that on a very eloquent note. That was great. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. To Matt, biking is more than just driving around or being cool. It's the activity that he has taken to find his sense of self, an opportunity to unify his mind and body, forcing him to let go of the pressures of work and society to enjoy the richness of the present moment. Some have called this flow. Flow is a mental state when one is fully immersed in an activity with energized focus and enjoyment in the process. It is complete absorption in what one is doing and some have claimed it is the path to happiness. Flow allows us to be fully present in the moment and avoids the distractions from our brain. Our mind tends to wander when left unattended bringing us to the hidden, lonely, and sometimes scary caves of our mind and memory. More often than not, we are ruled by our future anxieties or past disappointments. And now, with the addition of technology, it's even easier to avoid all of these internal issues and still never live clearly in the present moment. Psychologists say that those who live in the present moment tend to be happier people. They maintain a level of control to the pushes and pulls of the mind. When the mind does not try to run away from the pains of the past and anxieties of the future, 
you experience conscious awareness of your body in the present moment, the only thing that actually exists. The connection of body on bike seems to achieve this mental state faster. The type of meditation that Zen Buddhists spend decades trying to achieve. Biking doesn't allow you to multitask or think about what you want to say to your boss or fret about your recent heartbreak. You're just thrust into an ever-fleeting moment. Just focus on a line and a curve. This activity actively practices the philosophy Matt left us with. Be like water. Always know how to conform to the situation at hand, the bend in the road, and move through the unobjective moment. It sounds like he was able to relish in the rich landscape within the Peruvian borders, to the rough highlands of the Andes Mountains, to the cold Humboldt Current, to the flirtation with the Amazon rainforest on its border with Brazil. It's a ride you don't want to be stuck in your head for. Keep driving. In our next episode, we leave behind the chocolate life and start making our way back home. But not before we spend an afternoon filled with adventures on Machu Picchu. That's where we meet Blanca, at the apex of a mountain, staring down at the ancient Incan secrets below our feet. So, I hope that in 20 years we talk to each other like, yeah, and how you guys met? Yeah, we met in the top of Machu Picchu. <laughs> it's, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. This, uh, yeah, it's this kind of special moment that just happens. We could have seen anywhere in the mountain, we never talked to each other, but we just end up sitting next to each other and just somebody say something, oh yeah, look, this, that, and we end up, yeah, sticking together for a couple of days and, yeah, staying in touch and... Next time on Strangers Abroad. <laughs>